Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, there still seems to be some confusion and different messaging about how COVID-19 spreads, even within the healthcare industry. At this stage, shouldn't we have a consistent message across the board? Sick lab workers in Wuhan are fueling speculation about just how the pandemic actually started. And the Conservatives under Aaron O'Toole have struggled to close the gap on the Liberals, and their provincial counterparts in Ontario and Alberta aren't helping the situation. How does O'Toole plan on breaking through? We'll talk about that. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's begin and talk about the virus. And uh, as we continue along with what we should be doing as individuals here, which is A, vaccination, and B, following the protocols, there's a a problem here with misinformation. And and we've talked about this on the program for many, many months. Uh, You can find websites just about any place now on the the Internet that will try to substantiate any weird theory that you want to do about COVID-19 or what it actually is. But it's even more troubling, I guess, when when some of the quote-unquote experts seem to be given contrary information. Uh, Dr. Matthew Otten is uh, concerned about this, too. Uh, Dr. Otten is an infectious disease specialist and explains what they're actually talking about when they talk about airborne transmission. When we talk about airborne uh, transmission, usually that refers to respiratory diseases that can be passed by expelled you know, air as well as other uh, uh, very small respiratory droplets. And that's the same thing as talking about aerosol transmission or droplet nuclei. These are very, very small droplets that are so small that they can actually remain airborne for quite some time. We're talking about uh, droplets that are less than five microns. To give a sense of scale, that's about one one hundredth the size of a of a dot or a period. If you're reading that on the screen or on a on a printed page, is very very small. There's very few diseases that we know of that are primarily and mostly transmitted through aerosols. So we we understand the definition of what we're dealing with here, but is that how the, uh, the the virus is transmitted? There seems to be some contrary opinions even within medical experts about this, uh, especially when you look at some of the other uh, web pages of uh, some of the public health uh, areas here in the city, and and for that matter, I guess really across the province for that matter. Joining us to talk about this is a Dr. Dancedelia Colemi Culture, who is a microbiologist at uh, York University. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could be with us today. Thank you for having me. Let, let's talk a little bit about, about misinformation and contrary information. It's an ongoing problem, as we've talked to, to many people, including some of the members of the science table, which are advising the, the, the government here in Ontario, of course, uh, about how this t- uh, virus is transmitted, whether or not we wear masks. Uh, for experts like yourself that are looking into this right now, how frustrating is it when you see different people uh, that probably should know better, giving contrary points of view about something as simple as how this is transmitted? Um, I, yes, indeed, actually, it is a very frustrating because, you know, we're constantly talking about the risk of the uh, COVID-19 being transmitted through aerosols. I mean, uh, the, and sort of the, the necessary measure that when you go, especially indoors, not only you have to maintain the physical distance, but you must wear a face mask. And to find out that the information, and quite often in the uh, provincial public health uh, uh, website is uh, doesn't say that clearly. You kind of wonder, you know, I've been talking for so long, and obviously the confusion uh, in the people remains because when they go to this website, they're like, okay, I hear this on the news, but then I read this on the website, and what am I supposed to do? 
I suppose we can cut people a little bit of slack here, though, Doctor. I mean, in the initial stages, and I'm talking over a year ago now, uh, we were learning more about this almost on a daily basis, about how it was transmitted, what we're even dealing with. So I, I can understand that there might be a little bit of confusion there. But, but at, at this stage, in the third wave here in Ontario, we should have a pretty consistent message from the experts, shouldn't we? Indeed, and, and I do, uh, like you uh, men said, that uh, I do appreciate actually the, um, it's not easy to be updated to the information, especially uh, we're learning uh, pretty much every hour about the COVID-19 and the virus spreads, uh, this disease. Nonetheless, when there is so much uh, being said on, uh, on TV or on the radio, and when that doesn't correspond with what is written, on the website, it can be actually very uh, confusing to the people. And um, yes, we can sort of uh, provide uh, justifications to why that occurs, but it is confusing. It's uh, interesting to see. There's a story in the Toronto Star uh, last couple of days about this. I'm sure you've seen a doctor uh, that talked about what some of the regions, Durham region being one of them, uh, that basically has incorrect information, or at least outdated information, maybe we should uh, characterize it as, uh, about transmission, etc. And they don't seem to, at, at, even at this stage, uh, have a full understanding about the transmission uh, as, as, as how it's explained. And, and, you know, they're still thinking, well, you know, you could get this off a desktop or something like this. And we already know right now that this is an airborne virus, and at least most of us seem to know that. But how can we convince people that they have to follow the protocol if they're going to get conflicting information from, uh, from one web page to the other web page? That's true, and that is a very, very good question. That's why I actually was very surprised while, while I've been talking on the radio and um, uh, posting a lot of information that this disease is uh, very likely uh, transmitted through aerosols. Since last year, there is a lot of information. And to find out that uh, um, this wasn't reciprocated, if you will, on the public health agency's website, it was a bit uh, um, a big surprise and disappointing, to say the truth. Um, so it, it becomes important that when people hear one information through the experts, that that information is reciprocated in the uh, uh, public health services uh, websites so that there is no confusion. Or for those people that are not necessarily looking for loopholes, but they're looking for some sort of uh, finding an easy way to deal with the situation when they find uh, the, the information that you, when you can be indoors and as long as you are uh, physical distance, you don't have to wear a mask, it can be quite problematic. And that's why actually we do see a lot of outbreaks in uh, work working settings because apparently there are exemptions out there written on these websites that show that if you can be indoors and separated uh, within six feet, you don't have to wear a mask. And that is indeed very, very uh, uh, disturbing. And the numbers indicate that that has been a problem right across the country, hasn't it? As you mentioned, uh, the number one source of, of transmissions is the workplace. It's not schools. It's not parks. Exactly. Uh, it's in the workplace. In other words, in an enclosed setting like this. And uh, I'm, I'm getting the sense now from the comments I'm hearing from an awful lot of people over the last couple of weeks, Doctor, that a lot of folks think, that, you know what, we're out of the woods now. You don't really need to wear a mask. As long as you're six feet apart, you're going to be okay, uh, which is one of the reasons why there's concerning here about of the third wave and just how long this is going to last. Uh, this is, I guess, where we have to be as diligent, if not more diligent than always, when it comes to, to the protocols about wearing masks and washing. 
Exactly, and be- especially with with the variants, especially now that people understand that the virus can mutate and become uh, more transmissible, the significance of not only maintaining the physical distance, but wearing a face mask, not only in, especially indoors, but now also outdoors, especially when there is gathering, becomes even more important. The, the, the fact that these variants are very transmissible, that means is that you don't need a huge number of these virus particles to infect another person. You need a much more uh, smaller number of virus particles. So therefore, the airborne or aerosols uh, uh, transmission of COVID-19 becomes even more important. So the significance to remove any ambiguity in the information that the government, but also experts, are uh, uh, conveying to the public becomes even more important under this uh, situation with the variants. So there, really, there is no much room to to, to uh, wiggle here with the information. Uh, that's how sort of the dire the situation is. Uh, I mean, thank uh, goodness we have the vaccines now, but can you imagine if the rollout of the vaccination wouldn't have been as good as it is now, but uh, like it was in January, it would have been a big, big trouble here in Canada. Well, especially because of, as you say, the mixed messaging that's going on. And I understand there are so many different agencies right now, that, uh, from the World Health Organization to the Center for Disease Control down in the States to Public Health Canada here. Uh, uh, in Ontario, of course, you've got the National Academy of Sciences in the United States. Uh, you've got Lancet, so many different publications right now. Is there a way that we can ensure, Doctor, that there is going to be a consistent message? You know, I thought, to say the truth, prior to uh, uh, getting with this reporter and uh, write this article on uh, Toronto Star, I thought that there uh, there was no uh, ambiguity there in the information that uh, you would find on this public health agency's website. I was totally surprised. I thought we all were talking with one single voice in terms of the significance of face covering indoors. I'm at York University, and the rule since last year was you don't enter any indoor spaces unless you have a face covering. Of course, physical distance was uh, given. Mm-hmm. So I was totally surprised. So, uh, yes, it, it is quite possible that as soon as the uh, scientific community finds something new about this COVID-19, the website should be updated right away because this is sort of the place where all these, uh, you know, uh, companies go, the employers go to, to find the information. Uh, so the as difficult that is to uh, remain updated, it is very, very important, as recent developments have shown with the variants, but also with the uh, third wave we had to go through. And, and by the way, this is, is I, I know we've talked about Durham region because that's one of the areas that uh, the Toronto Star focused on, uh, but we're talking about the, the provincial agencies too. Uh, there seems to be some folks within those ministries that are still simply saying that this is not an airborne virus, uh, which is problematic because, as you mentioned, uh, it gives... Well, employers, for instance, or people that manage in, in some of these workplaces, licensed to basically say, look, you don't need all that protection. Uh, we don't need to have PPE here as much as we did a year ago, uh, which is really not the message you want to get out there, is it? No, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not the message. And I was a bit uh, disappointed to hear that someone uh, in the government uh, would sort of not have an updated information. And I can sort of understand that people, uh, some um, uh, health agencies are sort of stuck on this uh, airborne versus aerosol. It's exactly the same. It doesn't matter. What matters is that these small uh, um, uh, respiratory droplets that are able to linger in the air for a long time pose a risk for transmission of the COVID-19. No matter what you call it, they pose a risk. So, therefore, uh, becomes quite, I mean, uh, it's significant that, uh, especially when it comes to the people that, convey and write this information on the website to be well informed despite of their beliefs that uh, what the recent sort of evidence and scientific information uh, shows. 
Because I was of the same mind as you. I, I assume that everybody in, in positions of authority and knowledge in this uh, would be, have the same message and talk about, you know, the, the, the PPE that we need and the physical distancing. And you can't have one without the other in situations mm-hmm. like this. And, and I, was, I was shocked that there are so many people in some of these public health agencies, including the provincial agency, that don't seem to, to have that message and, and are trying to impart contrary information. It's, it's, it's no wonder the government gets confused if the so-called experts that they're supposed to be leaning on for information don't seem to have their act together. Um, in a way, so again, um, and, and it's, it's an unfortunate actually that sort of uh, a medic, uh, medicinal community um, uh, sort of it, it's and I don't want I don't know what the right word is, but sort of stuck up on the definition airborne versus aerosol. But there is mm-hmm. a lot of work that has shown that these virus particles can travel in the air, can remain in the air for long hours, and can travel long distances. So. Despite of how you want to def- uh, the definition you want to give to this process, both actually lead to tr- uh, transmission of the disease. So um, it's an unfortunate. I mean, that's how I consider myself uh, when I went to this website. I was flabbergasted. I was like, you know, I've been talking on the radio for so long. I do hear <laughs> experts on the TV for so long. And to hear, to see that this information is not reciprocated on the website, it, it, is, um, it, is, it was... Uh, Unbelievable. Well, and it, 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 I guess, concerns an awful lot of people that are concerned about the third wave. And, and, and I'm, I go back to the, my point from a couple of minutes ago that with the vaccination program starting to roll out right now, and that's good news, certainly, uh, I think a lot of people are th- thinking, you know, we're, we're going to be in pretty good shape here. We can relax this. And I know that there's some of the experts are saying that's fine if you want to go to a park, but you still have to have separation. But face masks, uh, I, I get the sense, doctor, are going to be with us for quite some time, even after we've had both doses of the vaccine and we see the numbers declining. There's always the concern about this thing rearing its ugly head again, isn't there? There is, actually. So there are uh, three factors. Yes, vaccines actually are making wonders. I mean, you look at the case of UK, uh, Israel, really the numbers are are going uh, not only down, but actually they do see days with no infections at all and no deaths at all. So that is one thing. However, we have to remember that we have to reach that sort of uh, so-called herd immunity at the levels of 80-85% to really be comfortable in order to to mix and have large gatherings and sort of uh, relax a little bit. And third, we have to be mindful. Not everyone can get a vaccine. And even those that can get vaccinated due to the underlying health conditions they may have may not be protected by the vaccine they have taken. So we have to be mindful. Yes, personally, we may be uh, protected, but there may be people that unfortunately cannot take advantage of that protection. So we have to be mindful of uh, of those people. So, yes, I do believe that face masks will be there uh, to stay for us, especially, uh, you know, when you consider that you don't want to just protect yourself. You want to also protect the people that are uh, surround you and you want to be mindful that those people may be vulnerable. So in a way, there's a lot that we've learned uh, from this pandemic. Nothing can be taken for granted. I mean, the the modern medicine cannot be taken for granted. It is there, obviously. It can can save us from a number of uh, diseases. But yes, humans remain vulnerable because uh, quite uh, often things are also behavioral in the sense that if you don't wash hands properly, if you don't maintain hygiene properly, you're more vulnerable to to, uh, pathogens uh, uh, from which you can uh, get quite ill. And not only you can get ill, but you can transmit those to more vulnerable people. And we do know that there are documented cases of people that have been vaccinated with both dosages in the case uh, that... that contract the disease anyway uh and, and thank hopefully it, you know the symptoms and, and the impact is not going to be as severe but uh there's still the risk of that happening we really can't afford to let our guard down can we 
No, we cannot. And again, uh, one may not get severely ill, one may not die, but the, uh, as many studies have shown, the COVID-19, the infection itself, can uh, leave or can damage a number of organs. So you may not lead a healthy life as you did before uh, being infected with COVID-19. So yes, we may be spared the death, if you will, but uh, you know it, it can uh, have uh, other impacts. Well, and we've heard some of those, sadly, about cardiac problems, uh, the, the brain fog, and so many other things that, that uh, you just don't want to get exposed to. So, uh, doctor, keep on keeping on with what you're doing here, and, and we'll, we'll try to con- convey that same message uh, that you've been talking about over the last number of months, too, and hopefully it's going to start resonating. Thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Dr. Densnilita Glemi Kutra, who's a microbiologist at York University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A lot of discussion about uh, the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic and the virus itself, of course, and uh, we all know about Wuhan and uh, the possibility, of course, that, uh, that this really was just a, an interaction between animals that were infected and, and human beings, and we've seen the impact of that, of course, on a global basis. Uh, but there's growing evidence, or at least some people think anyway, uh, that there's something a little more nefarious than what was going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, there's a reporting right now from U.S. intelligence suggesting that uh, back in November of 2019, uh, a number of staff involved uh, in some of the work at that place uh, at the uh, Virology uh, Institute uh, were hospitalized with the uh, symptoms that they said uh, could actually be traced to COVID-19. Now, the people, the authorities, of course, are denying this vehemently. Uh, there's a lot going on here and a lot of accusations going back and forth about this. So what is going on and what can we believe and not believe when it comes to, to COVID-19? Joining us to talk about this is uh, Elliot Tepper. Elliot, of course, is an emeritus professor of political science with Carleton University. Elliot, great to talk with you again. Hope you're doing well these days. Oh, thank you. Nice to be back with you, Bill. Nice to be back myself after a week off, enjoying uh, some sunshine and some warm weather for a change uh, in the backyard, of course, where we're all supposed to be these days. What do you make of what's going on here? I mean, I, I, I guess to to put this in context, you remember the I think you and I had the conversation about the, some of the comments from former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo just before the Trump administration uh, left office uh, that he said that uh, U.S. had intelligence information uh, that uh, researchers at uh, the Institute actually had been sick with covid like symptoms uh, long before this and uh, suggesting that there were some ulterior motives to some of the research that was going on there. Uh, I don't know that anybody's presented any of that evidence, have they? Yes, well, we're all in our backyards because of a virus which has swept the world. And, of course, uh, the question of origins is relevant. The problem is, is everybody seems to have politicized everything, so nobody believes anything about anybody. So mm-hmm. we... The problem we had coming out of China is that there was good reason to suspect that maybe they weren't as forthcoming as they should have been. Then the WHO went in and did a preliminary investigation and said, well, we have no evidence that they weren't forthcoming. Then the WHO, World Health Organization, was criticized for being too close to China. Then the Trump administration, which had credibility issues in other areas, issued the report to which you referred now it's coming out uh, again that, yes, there perhaps was an outbreak of something. Was it flu? Was it something else? But three people involved in the research all went to hospital in November. Remember, the first case was announced officially on December 8th. Mm-hmm. Now we have a, the murky situation of, well, who's, who knew what when? Uh, the EU finally came out with a resolution saying, hey, we want something done on this. 
the WHO is about to launch another phase of, well, they're debating now whether there should be another phase of the investigation. So we are on the cusp of possibly pursuing this further within the established community. But the, you know, the WHO going in and would they ever find out anything? So I, I think that's, that's the kind of factual picture in, in that we don't know a lot of facts. But uh, the possibility we will get more facts is there, but unlikely. Especially because the, at least the information that they seem to have ascertained so far, though, Elliot, is from Chinese authorities. So, uh, you know, let's face it, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you can't expect objective opinions from these people because most of them work in some way, shape, or form for the Chinese government, and they're going to have their backs on this. Yes, we, you and I have talked about variations on this for a very long time. I think the big story here is that China has come much more into our focus in recent times in a variety of ways, uh, most prominently in Canada because of our two Michaels, and we have to say three days from now it's up to 900 days in detention, arbitrary detention mm-hmm. for hostage-taking. So we, China has really come into focus in, in a way that nobody would have anticipated a short time ago, preceding the time period of the COVID crisis. The COVID crisis then becomes all wrapped up in what is China all about under Xi Jinping? And we have every reason to think that uh, they have quite successfully actually managed the narrative on this. Uh, there were competing narratives, the U.S. saying they were hiding things and China saying, hey, we're the ones who reported on this first. We put the genome out for the world to, to uh, you know, we, we resequenced the genome on this thing and we put it out for the world scientific community and that's why there's already uh, lots of vaccines coming out, including, of course, a Chinese vaccine. And now we are helping the world. And therefore, Xi Jinping and China are shining examples of you know, world leadership, and everybody should look at us. They've made great strides in that kind of, in that kind of a narrative against uh, basically the competing in their narrative by America, saying, well, we aren't so sure, and besides which, you know, America apparently under Trump politicized the whole question, the public health issue, of what is COVID, and when will it go away, and look over there at China, it's all their fault, it isn't our fault if hundreds of thousands of Americans are dying because we said this thing didn't exist in the first place, and so it got all politicized in a hurry, uh, and China then emerged very quickly. I think one of the interesting things here is to take a look at, at Australia, because Australia very early on and, and there's other stories on China coming out now. So my big message is we are now learning and perceiving and thinking about China in a far different way than we did before November when these three people got sick and went in the hospital. And then China arrested or people disappeared within China who first reported on all this. So China is very much under, under closer, closer scrutiny. But Australia, very early on, on this issue, on this issue, Bill said, you know, we really had better take a look at the origins. China erupted on this. Number one trading partner by far for Australia said to China, said to Australia, if you pursue that line, you're going to pay a penalty. And they did. And so China uh, really started, all kinds of spurious reasons, started to really clamp down on, on their trade and economic relations with Australia, who's now taken them, as I say, to the WTO, seeing they violated that. But meanwhile, Australia has had arbitrary detentions. They are like us. 
So we now have a situation uh, of a domestic case in Canada, which seems totally unrelated, <laughs> with uh, Alberta now saying, you know, we think no university should do business with any, any economic uh, and, and, and uh, research business with the People's Republic of China. So this is an escalating story, but the origins of the story aren't just the origins of the Wuhan virus, but our increasing awareness of the nature of Xi Jinping's China. What's the speculation here? I, I, I'm, is there a, a line of thinking right now that, that, that well, I, I here's some people in the Trump administration, Elliot, they were suggesting this was done on purpose and to spread it all over the world and, and send it over to North America. I, I, I'm not getting the sense that the intelligence reports that they seem to have in hand right now indicate that in any way, shape, or form, but there might have been something untoward going on in that lab and some of the testing and things that were going on. Is, is, is that what they're concerned about? And is that what they're leaning towards right now? Well, this is the politicization of it, of what should be a public health uh, inquiry only, and strictly a public health issue. It quickly became politicized, caught up in domestic U.S. politics, where Donald Trump wanted to say there, it didn't exist, and if people are dying, it's not my fault, it's China's fault. And now the, the issue you just raised. Uh, it, no, I don't think there's any reason to think that China deliberately is infecting the world, uh, a world in which they are doing very well, uh, simply by being a great economic power, power and, ex and expanding their influence around the world and putting themselves forward as the model of a kind of government and democracy that the world should be looking at instead of America's. So we're into a global competition where Xi Jinping has emerged as a leader that's saying that the West is declining and the East is rising and all this business of, of where the crisis uh, originated, the COVID crisis, gets wrapped up in that. As you mentioned, the World Health Organization did their own investigation into this, and they said the, the chance of an accident was, to use their words, extremely low. Uh, but but as, as you mentioned, the World Health Organization is under scrutiny right now, too, for cozying up too much to China in the last and having too much influence. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I understand the data that they actually used uh, to base their information and, and their conclusions that uh, the chance of an accident was low was after talking to Chinese authorities. Uh, so how credible is that? Yes, well, this is the... Uh... This is the conundrum that we, we are presently facing is that the body, the global body that, remember, let's have a stand back again. We have a global pandemic. It requires a global response. And the WHO is the key agency uh, to give us a global perspective. And there is a lot of reason to be concerned about how it's, how it's structured and how it's, uh, how it's handled this situation regarding, in particular, the role of China. We are left now with where do we go next? Where do we go next in all of this? I think does require, and, is, is go and I think this is kind of a bottom line on this particular issue, there is going to be a much closer examination of the origins question as a result of things that we are now hearing, particularly the intelligence report to which you just referred. But whether it will actually lead to any conclusion that gives us a clearer idea is, is not at all known. But meanwhile geopolitics continues to gallop ahead around this issue.
These are all going to be confidential documents. I mean, you know, the reporting I saw on this uh, said that uh, current and former intelligence officials say that uh, the idea that the virus was accidentally unleashed from the lab in Wuhan is, the, to use their word, reasonable, which seems to contradict the World Health Organization assessment of the situation. But, uh, Elliot, are we ever going to get the, the, the truth about this and the facts about this? It's not likely. Uh, the, the particular, the particular uh, issue at hand is, did people in China capture a wild bat that was infected, take it into the lab, discovered it was affected, and then the bat accidentally got free and went flying out and into the wild and, then, and spread this all around? The dominant theory, to remind ourselves, is that that is not the source. The, the, the dominant theory has been that China has something called wet markets. These are markets that uh, sell animals. Mm-hmm. And there's been an... an animal to human transmission and that's really how it uh, how it spread whether we will ever have a full explanation on this or not we don't know but the two key things to me is what are we going to learn about how china behaves and two what can we factually practically find out about the nature of pandemics in order to take essential public health not geopolitical not political issues but public health issues surrounding pandemics going forward and and that's the key element here and i think the takeaway isn't it i mean because i know some people are going to be listening and thinking what difference does it make where it started the fact is is we've got it well yeah you can't battle something like this unless you know exactly where it came from and 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 that that's going to be a key element to this and that's that seems to be a missing piece of this puzzle yes china incidentally immediately said you know did it may not have even started in China. It may not be a Chinese Wuhan virus at all. It might be an American virus, and it has to do with frozen food that was imported into China from an American military base. They, they put up an immediate uh, cloud about, well, it wasn't us, it was somebody else. We need public health issues, answers, public health answers around this issue, and that is all caught up in politics and domestic in, the, in China, domestic in the U.S., and that, in turn, is caught up with geopolitics between Canada, with our hostages, others around the world that are having to deal with an emergent China that is throwing its weight around. Uh, remember, we also have the South China Sea and all the various ways that warrior diplomacy, and this is part and parcel. Xi Jinping's response on this has been all part of a big package of saying, I'm the paramount leader of the most important country in the world, and we handled ourselves well and the rest of the world had better pay attention to us in, on our own terms. And now comes along questions, well, what about this pandemic? And that begins to unravel his entire uh, persona, his entire package. And so he's going to move vigorously to stop, stop that from happening. We know that U.S. intelligence sources have been looking into this for the longest time right now and are continuing to do it, by the way, with the Biden administration. Uh, we're told that the Biden administration is not going to declassify any of this information. Now, we already know that the U.S. government has pages and pages and probably buildings and buildings full of classified information that they're never going to release to the public. Uh, do, they know, do they know something that we don't know? Or if, if they uncovered something like this, would they actually make that a public document? Oh, we can all we can deal with is what is publicly said. And yeah. Publicly, what uh, the the new head of uh, the national intelligence. Um, there's so many intelligence agencies in America, but there's one spokesperson for it, Avril Haines, and she has just come out and said, as part of the article that you're drawing on for this story, that uh, 
we we are not going to release the information, but we have reason to have good questions. There's questions yet to be answered, and she, and she sees the intelligence. Yeah, which doesn't answer anything. I mean, it's an answer that doesn't answer anything, uh, which is going to lead to more speculation, I guess, and more books written about it and movies made about it, I suppose, uh, about who knows what and why the government isn't being forthcoming about all this stuff. Uh, it's it's a very frustrating situation, obviously, but uh, it is what it is, I suppose, and it's uh, one of the reasons why there's a lot of skepticism about some of the, the information we're getting about this. Elliot, we're uh, up against the clock, as per usual. Enjoy the conversation. Uh, thanks so much for this. Uh, stay well, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks. Looking forward to it. Glad you're back and healthy. Thank you. Elliot Tepper, of course, uh, Emeritus Professor of Political Science at Carleton University in Ottawa. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. CBC has an aggregate poll that they do. It's called their poll tracker, and it's really an aggregation of, of all the public polling data. Uh, it has the Liberals ahead by six percentage points over the Conservatives. That's on a national basis. But the story behind that is what's going on in, uh, well, two very important provinces, that being Alberta and Ontario, where those Conservative premiers uh, are really taking a beating in the public opinion polls, and uh, apparently that's having an impact on uh, the way the Canadians feel about Aaron O'Toole as a potential leader of this country. Joining us to talk about this is our good friend Richard Brennan, uh, former journalist with the Toronto Star who covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for these many years. Uh, Badger, great to be back with you. Uh, hope you're doing well these days. Oh, yeah. Going great. Had a great weekend. Did a lot of gardening and stuff, so it was it was a perfect time. Yeah, the weather really agreeing with uh, the May 2-4 weekend and uh, getting some nice stuff out of here. Uh, I, I wouldn't ask you to nail down a date or a speculative date about the election, but i got to figure uh, that the longer that this gap between the Conservatives and the Liberals is, is holding steady, and it seems to be these days, the temptation for the government to pull the plug sometime, I would think, over the summer months, maybe for a fall election, has got to be overwhelming. Oh, I would think the fall, because you don't... You don't want to do it during the summertime because people aren't paying attention, rightly so. They've got other things to worry about and do and everything, particularly when we might be having a summer where we're not quite as locked down as we were in the past, so people will be enjoying themselves. But the fall will be a different story. Here's the thing, though. Uh, you look at what's going on, and let's talk about Alberta and, and Ontario, of course, where uh, Jason Kenney and, and Doug Ford are, are really taking beating in public opinion polls for their handling of that same pandemic, of course, uh, the vaccine rollout and everything else. And we, we've heard a, you know, about a lot of the pushback that these guys are getting right now. And I know that Aaron O'Toole, just like his predecessor, Andrew Shearer, said, wait, 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 that's the provincial party. We're the federal conservatives. But as far as the voters are concerned, a, a conservative is a conservative is a conservative, just like a liberal is a liberal uh no matter if you want to or not you wear what the other guys are doing don't you well particularly in alberta i mean uh, people in 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 ontario still you know flip-flop quite a bit back and forth not, you know but not in alberta they're dyed in the wool well they were uh dyed in the wool conservatives i mean look for example his his o'toole's got 47 percent support in alberta and you might say, oh, that's not so bad. But the fact is, that's a drop of 22 points since the 2019 election. So that tells you what kind of impact that uh, Jason Kenney and his uh, eroding popularity is having on the federal government, on, on the well, federal conservatives, I should say. And, and Aaron O'Toole and, and the federal conservatives might be doing reasonably well, as you say, notwithstanding the fact that there's a huge job. But Kenny himself is trailing Rachel Notley by at least 10 points in the public opinion polls there. Oh, I, I'm not suggesting no that Alberta's going to go NDP again, but you never know. Well, as as if Aaron O'Toole didn't have a tough enough time trying to uh, 
get some traction federally. He's got two provinces where their 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 leaders are are being killed in the you know in a popularity contest, including Doug Ford. His his has dropped. His popularity has dropped several points since uh, just this past uh, you know a year ago. So I mean it's it's a tough time for Aaron O'Toole, no question about it. And now he's looking. I don't know if you read that, Bill, but he's looking to uh, British and overseas for uh, to try and elicit some support in, in terms of hiring new people to do their uh, you know their social uh, social media and and, and plan out uh, an election strategy. And, and these are you know these are groups that help though to you know Boris Johnson, and he. Now, now he's looking over to, overseas and saying, "I want you guys to come over," which he has. He's hired these folks to try and boost his support. That will be very interesting. What you know, what helped and 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 was successful in, let's say, New Zealand, Australia, and and, uh, and other places works in in Canada. I I got my doubts, quite frankly. Well, they've tried just about every other tack, though, haven't they? I mean, you know, a few months ago, we had the Aaron O'Toole commercials on television, you know, and walking along the shores of the Rideau there, just trying to be, you know, every man. You know, I'm just your average neighbor by you, the guy you want to talk to over the fence. And uh, it didn't seem to do any good. I mean, they, he continued to lag in the polls even with that kind of a PR move. You no, know, just recently, he did doing uh, stuff on Twitter, you know, pictures of him, his wife, handing him a beer as he finishes his run. Or, or you know, him getting a getting a drink for his you know in a hot day for his wife. <clears throat> well, that's all well and good, and that's the kind of things real people do. But it just looks so uh, contrived, and that's what really uh, I think is uh, is his shortcoming. But and we can go all the way back to Andrew Shear with this too. The, you know, the former leader of the party. Uh, they they've got to be shaking their heads though, because I mean, you look at. Uh, what they've tried to stick uh, with this government here, you know, there's SNC Lavalin. I thought that was going to be the undoing of this government. Uh, then the we thing it was supposed to be the undoing of this government, and and none of it seems to stick for very long. Uh, yet what does seem to resonate with a lot of voters is, for instance, the, the the recent conservative policy convention where they said, you know, that we don't believe that we we believe that climate change is there, but you know, it was a really half-hearted uh, attempt at this. And O'Toole tried to downplay it and said, you guys are making more of this than they can't. That's that's the sort of thing that resonates with people. Uh, you, they, policy does matter to an awful lot of people. Oh, it does. But when you think about it, Bill, all the stuff that you just mentioned there with uh, with the Liberal Party, and they're still ahead in the polls. I mean, it makes you want to scratch your head and go, God, you know, what's going on? It, you know, Trudeau's you know the Teflon man. There's no question about it. But I think you know some of the shortfalls and some of the missteps of the Conservative Party are just helping the Liberals for for whatever reason. And and you gotta you gotta look at it and say, like what what are the conservatives doing wrong? You know, is it are they doing everything wrong? It it just really is uh it's not understandable quite frankly when I think about it. When I when I think about all the baggage the liberals have and had. Well, I have a theory on that. 
and, and it may be not it may be not a, a, a very plausible and it might not even be very complimentary to, to a politicians but i i think voters for the most part have a very low opinion of elected officials anyway so when they hear about scandals and things like this it doesn't resonate with them because they figured well what else, what do you expect you know, they're all in it for themselves. You've heard all these things over the years that you've been covering politics federally and provincially, uh, that they just have this skeptical opinion that, you know, they don't listen to people, they don't care about this. So so what if, uh, you know, they're doing a little this or that a little, you know, to, to benefit themselves or for their own political well-being? Uh, it, it, yeah, it angers them, but they show, okay, let's move on and let's talk about some other stuff here. Well, and, and, you and, know, in part, right, that is a, a damning indictment. You know, there's no, no question about that. And, uh, you know, and, you know, some... Somebody like myself who's covered politics for a very long time, I, I hate to hear think that, but there is some truth to that, no question about it. People have lost respect for their elected uh, leaders uh, for various reasons, and including that they don't think anybody's listening to them. They only listen to them at election time and then and, and, and go ahead and do whatever they want. I mean, for example... That, you know, the uh, conservatives here in Ontario with Doug Ford. Who ever thought that he would, he wanted to pay paradise in terms of uh, Highway 413 that would, you know, gobble up acres, you know, scores of acres of land to put through a highway that most, you know, uh, even the municipalities say is really not warranted. And you go, well, hold on, I didn't elect him to do, to do that. And but nevertheless, they go ahead, and it's you know, I think somebody described it you know as a democratic dictatorship, uh, you know the system we have because once the government's elected and they get in, they basically can do whatever they want to. And and you've seen that happen, and you know we we just talked about the, the federal conservatives and their attitude towards uh, climate change and 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 about what's happening with global warming and what policies, if ever, they're going to you know try to initiate or support even for that. And and uh, I think people are getting skeptical about that. And but it's variations on the same theme with as you mentioned with the Ford government. Uh, you know, first of all, the incursion with the new highway that nobody really wants except somebody in the government or somebody who's cutting checks for them. I don't know. Uh, and then of course. Uh, you know, forcing David Crombie to resign from the Greenbelt Council. Uh, Crombie is a very respected conservative, former cabinet minister in the Mulroney government, of course, former mayor of the city of Toronto. Uh, that's sending a message, not just to environmentalists, I think, to an awful lot of people that just says, you know, wait a second here. You know, this is, in, in many people's minds, I think it's 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 overreaching into situations. Uh, the, the environment may not be everybody's number one issue. I get that. But it is it is an important issue to many people. It, it's, it's in their top three or four anyway and when we see governments that seem oblivious to, to the environmental concerns I, I think that does sit right home with them oh it sticks i mean it there's no question you know whether it was you know, deciding factor in the election who knows but it it's a an election is never one or just one or two issues as a culmination of issues and it's the ones that have you know stuck to any particular government and they uh and when that happens, you know that, that that's you know that's that's the beginning of the tsunami. I quite frankly, I mean, look at you know uh, you know uh, the you know the previous liberals. You know what? Uh, you know they didn't. They got the reputation for not being uh, able to do anything right, and and that's what helped Doug Ford. But now you know the the, the 
you know, the, the uh, I think the shoe has uh, put, put on their foot right now, and because they've given, you know, they're giving the impression now that regardless of what we do, nothing seems to work, and that's not entirely true. Of course, it isn't, but it, the, it's the impression that people have, and that matters as much as reality, quite frankly. This is so ever-changing, though. I mean, when you look at this, I mean, you know, anytime you see polling, as, as you've reminded us many times, it's a snapshot of, of the way people are feeling at that particular time. And and there are variables here that are going to change a lot of this, one of them being, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the vaccine rollout. I mean, you know, a few months ago, uh, the liberals were in trouble uh, because the vaccine rollout wasn't happening. Well, now we're starting to get needles in arms. We're starting to get a lot more supply. And I, I, people seem to have forgotten about their anger and angst about that. Uh, but they're not forgetting about things like the lockdown, and they're not forgetting about things like you know the impact it's having on small businesses uh or people's personal freedoms i to hear an awful lot of them complain and and that's on the provincial governments that's on premier kenny and premier ford and others like this and they're going to have to wear that well there's a full page ad in the papers today including the toronto star by uh small businesses uh in in particular you know the restaurants etc who are just condemning the uh, conservative government for taking so long to get them back into play again. You got to, you know, these poor people have been, and, you know, and I'm not saying that things shouldn't have been shut down, don't get me wrong, but you have to look at the reality of it and the consequences of it, and that is that these, uh, you know, restaurants, stores, whatever, have been shut down basically for, you know, on and off for a year now, and they're saying enough's enough. We can't, you know, if you want us to stay in business, and these are small business people, and that's who support a government. And if they lose this, you know, the conservatives lose the support of small business, then they are in trouble because, it, it, you know, that has a ripple effect right across the province. So really it's up to the government now to say, okay, you know, the next rollout is, you know, you can have so many people in a restaurant or you can have them on the patio or or whatever it might be, but they've got to do something, and they have to do something quick because this is a, these uh, are jobs, and this is the you know the owner's livelihood. We want to. I want to bring it back to, to Alberta and Ontario here because they seem to be key. And, and every province is important when we have a federal election. I get that. But, uh, you know, Quebec seems to be in play right now because of the bloc and, and there's some concern there about whether or not they can hang on to their seats. And and you're right. I mean, uh, yeah, notwithstanding how poorly Kennedy is, is doing in the public opinion polls right now, uh, the, the Conservatives aren't going to lose one or more than one or two seats if they even lose any in the next federal election. Although there is a, another radical right-wing party, the Maverick Party, or so, that, that could actually win a site and and you know that that they could take away from the conservatives there but ontario is the mother lord i mean that's where for all intents and purposes elections are won and lost and andrew sure did so poorly here in the last federal election in ontario uh essentially any seats that they got for the most part were in rural parts of the province small c conservative areas uh they do not do well in the cities has, has Aaron O'Toole done anything to change that dynamic not that I've seen. In fact, you know, I mean, certainly the polls suggest that may, he may even do worse. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's tough to take for the conservatives. Because, like you say, if you, can't, if, you don't, if you can't win in Ontario, you're done. 
I mean, you look at the populous areas here around the GTHA. Uh, well, the COVID hotspots, to, to be sure. I mean, the city of Toronto, regions of Peel, Durham, places like that. Uh, there, there's votes there. I mean, what what is it? Something like uh, 49 seats, I think, in Toronto alone uh, that are up for grabs in situations like this. And those people aren't very happy with the provincial government right now. No, and, and you know, and we just... In the last election, they they steered they stayed away from uh, you know even mentioning Doug Ford's name, and 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 I don't see that I don't see that uh, I see I should say I see that happening again where they will just do their best to uh, break away from any any uh, talk or, or support from from the Ford government because they. It, they're tainted in, you know, whether they are or not, but they certainly think they are because of the uh, polls, that they will just distance themselves from from the Ford government. And and, uh, and I don't know if, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that happens in Alberta. Now, gosh, I can't imagine it, but to see if they, uh, you know, distance themselves from uh, Jason Kenney. It, it's unthinkable, but it could happen. Well, and Kenny's concerns are a lot deeper than just public opinion polls. I mean, he's got insurrection in the ranks there. A lot of the people in his own cabinet are, are throwing knives at him right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he he's having the he's he's in trouble. Uh, he's struggling. There's no question about that. Like Ford, but I you know Ford, I think has you know I don't think he has that kind of insurrection going on in his his party. But like you say. Uh, Jason Kenney certainly seems to at least have that going on in Alberta, which just compounds the situation for O'Toole. How do you, when you look at the dynamic here, there's going to be a federal election before the next provincial election. We know that. And things may improve for Doug Ford. I mean, if, if the reopening goes well and we start seeing restaurants open again and we see full capacity uh, and get people back into ball games and things like that, people may tend to forget their angst about what's going on right now, uh, which I think would probably surveys even more uh, of, a, of a, 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 an impetus right now for the federal liberals to look at this and say, we got to strike while the iron's hot, while they're still ticked off with this government, because that can change pretty quickly. Uh, and as a matter of fact, they, they could actually be contributing to that. I mean, because the, the, the better the vaccine program is, the more things are going to improve here in Ontario, which could actually improve Doug Ford's standing, too. So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place here politically. Well, it'll be very interesting to see if if people's uh, you know disdain with with the government or uh, is tempered somewhat with with you know the fact that everybody will hopefully by the fall has their second shot and and they're feeling better about the world and and maybe about the government. If I was Doug Ford, I would be praying that was the case, and we'll see. I mean, it, it, you know. It's always been said that, you know, voters have short memories, and, you know, and quite frankly, they do. I, I've seen it time and time again. But if, you know, we'll, you know, you'll know, I can tell you right now, you'll know in the next provincial election what's going to happen if you see people lined up to vote. And that will be the telling point. If you see people lined up, out, you know, by the dozens outside of a polling booth waiting to vote, then, you know, Mr. Uh, you know, Ford is goose is cooked. 
We will see. Uh, always a pleasure, Badger. Thanks so much for the stay well. We'll talk soon. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Take care. Richard Brennan, of course, our former journalist who covered Queens Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.